I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning. Just outside of Chicago. Galileo. 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 In the basement of this house. It's Wade's World. Wade's World. Party time. Excellent. Broadcast history is about to be made. Extreme close-up. I want you to find out who these guys are and where they do their show. What is this? Mr. Vanderhoff, this is your audience. It's two chimps on a Davenport in a basement. Here I am with the contract for $5,000. Excuse me? We're all in, it's like the roaring 20s, you know, but instead of like flapper dresses, the 90s are back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bucket hats and overalls. Okay, so bucket hats are back because my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Yes, and I need you to wear a bucket hat. Uh, It's not going to happen. As excited as I was when the new radicals reunited in January for the Biden inauguration, uh, I'm not going to wear a bucket hat. Oh, okay. I mean, that's fine. Everyone has their reasons, but I think you'd look very cute in like a denim one. (laughs) Like a, a white denim one. Maybe that could be probably should emerge. It's just all bucket hats in different colored denim <laughs> with our logo on it. With our logo on them. Yeah, uh, yeah we'll explore that revenue stream uh, soon <laughs> enough. When I caught a reflection of you and me Staring back at us while frozen on the screen Crack the white noise and pretend that we're asleep We're asleep, dream, 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 dream Hello everyone, welcome to Probably Should Have Known Better A podcast where we celebrate comedy that maybe hasn't aged very well I'm Nadia Vasquez and I'm joined as always by my co-host Tony Ginocchio, the Garth to my Wayne. Yes, hang on. Here it comes. Here it comes. You ready? Yes. Party on, Nadia. Damn it, I oh. fucked it. <laughs> try it again, try it again. Go ahead, okay, go ahead. Okay, Party on, Nadia. Party on, Tony. Hey, hey, we did it. We did uh, it. Dude, I have to, I, I did kind of flip-flop. I thought maybe I was the Garth to your Wayne, but I think I'm the Wayne to your Garth. I think so, and, and I take that as a compliment, absolutely. Um. <laughs> Garth, one of the great characters to come out of Saturday Night Live, I think. Amazing, amazing. Um, and, uh, and and what a what a wonderful, joyful movie we have today, uh, because we were talking about Wayne's World from 1992, but but we gotta we gotta back up for a second. <laughs> yeah, we gotta talk uh, business with yeah, our listeners. We gotta talk about what this season is going to be. Yes, if you recall last season, we did all comedy juggernauts, everything that was at the top ten of the box office in their year. And and this season, <laughs> and, and I know that uh, this is everyone's favorite part of the podcast where we explain the rules for the season. This season's very special to both of us because we're we're talking about the the legacy and the impact of a television institution that has been on for. Jesus fucking Christ, almost 50 years. <laughs> yes, a long time. <laughs> a long time. And, and that's Saturday Night Live. And, and specifically, we are 
talking about Saturday Night Live through the lens of all of the movies that are based on sketches or characters created for Saturday Night Live that were then made into movies, which include some really great films, like I would argue the one we watched for this episode. Oh, yes. Uh, And then also include some other films (laughs) that we will also be watching. We can be vague about that, and then we will face the consequences of choosing those when that happens. Um, and and you know, I, what I will say about Saturday Night Live is, you know, this is a, a show that over five decades has been home to actors and writers who are some of the funniest people in the world who have gone on to create incredibly funny things, who have influenced my own sense of humor. You know, Conan mm-hmm. O'Brien. Bob Odenkirk, Christopher Guest, Robert Smigel, probably some women. Uh, these are uh, all, you know, blah, blah. All, all people that 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 I uh, like really looked up to and and really um, thought were brilliant, funny comedians. And I think it's it's going to be so interesting for me to go back through the history of this and say, then why is the show right now? so bad the single worst (laughs) show on television no i mean i can't say that so a little background for me i feel exactly the same way about snl though my influences probably you know range more towards the amy poehler tina fey maya rudolph kristen wig era um but i was also an intern at saturday night live my senior year of college. So, so that was the second half of the season in 2010 after the Christmas episode. Started with Charles Barkley, ended with Alec Baldwin, lots of celebs in between. Uh, that was arguably one of my favorite seasons. It was the season with Betty White, mm. uh, where it was the all-female cast. They brought back a lot of old players. And it also had Jason Sudeikis, Will Forte, Bill Hader, Andy Samberg. Like, it, juggernaut people okay great, great. Uh, all of those people you listed as cast members are people that i still think are really funny <laughs> so funny and they've gone on to do amazing things which we will cover on the pod so i i know the kind of behind the scenes people too so to say that snl is like the worst is kind of mean but i mean not necessarily untrue <laughs> But I will just say that having seen the back end of things, I know how difficult it is to produce a show mm-hmm. like this and how difficult the writing process is and the post-production process. Like there might, it doesn't seem like there's a lot, but there is. So um, I want to be nice. I'm going to be nice. You can do whatever you want because I don't <laughs> want to burn those bridges. No, like I said, <laughs> there, there's just, there's so many so many funny people um yeah but i yeah went on to do great things but it just like you know we were talking about this a minute ago elon musk was on playing fucking wario uh, (laughs) like two weeks ago i know and and the thing i was going to, to tell you and we got cut off was like um grimes his partner the the musical artist grimes guest stars in that sketch she made a cameo in that sketch she's princess peach oh but but, like, nobody knows, like, nobody can pick Grimes out of a lineup. Like, she's had a lot of critical yeah. success if you, like, read music blogs and stuff. But she's not, like, she's not broadly popular. And she also doesn't market her image a lot. Right. Uh, compared to pop stars. So she just came onto the scene to dead silence. Just. Oh, that's so awkward. <laughs> that's so awkward. See, I, I okay. 
I have a theory. I have a theory about why what's going on now isn't as um, impactful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because we have too much shit going on. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's something to that. Yeah, there's too many celebrities from too many different mediums. You know, you got your TikTok people, your YouTube people, your streaming people, your cable people, and then your regular network people. I don't know who anyone is anymore. There's like reboots to Gossip Girl with children I've never seen. I don't know what's going on half the time. You know, I know the musical artists on SNL generally. Sometimes I don't. And I'm going to go into kind of like the history of uh, who was on the show on certain years. No-brainers. Huge stars. Huge musical guests. Like, I think we are so oversaturated with anybody who can entertain and create, and I'm going to hate to say this word, content. <laughs> that, like, I think SNL is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> they can't yeah. cater to everybody all the time. I think that's exactly right. And one final note on the Wario sketch is it did uh, prompt, and this is real, an angry letter from the National Italian American Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> no, at least we can count on them. Uh, th- you guys are the real heroes. Yeah, uh, they're always so consistent. <laughs> um, but uh, But going to our selection today... A yes, let's that, go back in time to simpler times. Uh, yeah, to 1992, a movie that I love, that I own on DVD, um, Wayne's World, 1992, directed by Penelope Spears, uh, starring uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey from the cast of Saturday Night Live, uh, Tia Carrera, who sang her own vocals uh, for the movie, Queen. and uh, Rob Lowe, who at this point in his career had not fucked a 16-year-old. Uh, that would come a little bit later. So uh, horrifying. Based on a sketch that was used uh, 19 times between 1989 and 1994, plus two additional times, uh, once in 2011 when Dana Carvey hosted, and then once in 2015 for the 40th anniversary special. And the character of Wayne uh, was kind of developed uh, before that uh, in the late 80s as part of a CBC uh, sketch show. Um, but, but Nadia, do you want to talk us through the plot of the film? Yeah, we're, I mean, you're using the word plot really fast and loose here. Uh, (laughs) which will be a theme for the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to try my best because I love this movie and I want to do it justice. So Wayne Campbell played by Mike Myers and Garth Algar played by Dana Carvey. I forgot his name for a second. Are co-hosts of a popular cable access show called Wayne's World. That was that was my guitar riff. There's this slick and handsome producer played by Rob Lowe who wants to exploit the dudes by featuring a sponsorship from a place called Noah's Arcade, which is run by a real wank named Noah Vanderhoff. The dudes don't want to sell out, and you know have all this publicity and all that stuff. So they take matters into their own hands on how to take Wayne's world back. There's also a romantic subplot with a hot bass player, Cassandra. And she, she is a babe in this movie. I'm she's sorry. a babe. <laughs> she, she, and, and that's Wayne's term, but it's true. No, I mean, no denying she's Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> she's Wait, what was it? Babra Majora? Wait, what was this joke? Uh, something, yeah, it could be that. There's a, there, there's a bunch of good ones. Yeah, we'll um, go back to that. But yeah, ultimate, re- ultimately, the movie is about friendship and growth. Everyone it, grows. It's about two guys who are good people mm-hmm. if 
very dumb. Uh, and they they uh, learn how to take care of each other and to take care of their friends. I think it's great. I, it's All, lovely. Awesome. It's, it's funny. <laughs> it's very funny. There's stuff I still quote in this movie to this day. Most importantly, this is the most culturally and historically significant film ever made that is set in Aurora, Illinois. Hell yeah. Uh, which Look at this you. would be this would be an A plus film, but they refer to Aurora as a suburb of Chicago, which it is not, so F minus. Wait, but, what, what tell, okay, well, okay, Mr. Illinois, you have to give us the correct information. It's like too far west to be considered a suburb. Like I would consider the suburbs if you are like it's not in Cook County, basically. It's in another county. Ah, I see. Yeah. I don't I don't see. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm gonna take your word for it. But there's, um, there's. So I thought many... you would get excited to that, knowing that it was the focus of it was in Chicago. I was like, oh great, I forgot about this. Yeah, there. I mean, I was still excited for it. I mean, the opening scene where Roblo is flipping through the channels and they land on a commercial for Empire Carpet, which is a, a Chicago institution, and the, their TV. I mean, he's dead now, but the, the guy who runs Empire Carpet would do the commercials, and and you see him on TV, and you're like, just a blast of nostalgia uh, hits you. Um, so uh, it just like there's there's moments like that throughout the film. You know, there's a cop in the film named Officer Kuharski, and if you become a cop in Chicago, you are legally required to change your name to Officer Kuharski. <laughs> And I also love that the cop's only contribution to the plot is physically abusing the son. Roblo, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, there's, there's, it's just dumb and fun, and nothing bad happens, and it's ninety four minutes, and it is a tight three acts, and I just love this movie so much. It is delightful. It's great, and the soundtrack absolutely soundtrack kicks whales. Ass. It wails. Honestly, one one other theme I think we will see this season is a lot of these movies actually do have very good soundtracks. Yeah. Like, they, they clearly spent the budget on clearing the rights to stuff like this. I feel like Lauren just called people and was like, hey, you know, I, I want to use this in a movie. Do you want to just be a musical guest at some point in the next year? And they're like, sure. Yeah. So, um, the reason... The oh, raw power of Lorne Michaels is a bit... I think we're, as time goes on... We're not watching chronologically, but we will, as time goes on and we get to the later movies, are going to see the absolute power that Lorne Michaels the, wields uh, the to create The unquestioned these. charisma and charm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's astounding, honestly. Uh, yeah, and, and Nadia brought up a good point. This isn't actually the first Saturday Night Live film ever made. It's the second... The reason we're doing it first is because this is the most successful um, by, like, an order of magnitude. This made $121 million, more than twice as much as the next highest-grossing Saturday Night Live film ever. Um, and because this movie was so successful, I think unexpectedly successful, this movie kicked off a stretch where between 1992 and 2000, there were, like, eight Saturday Night Live movies. Basically mm -hmm. one a year. Um, and so, uh, basically if this movie hadn't been so successful, we wouldn't have, uh, some of the other gems in the SNL film canon. And so we yeah. wanted to kind of start here. Um, but I also want to know what 1992 was like, uh, in that, terms of yeah. what was going on in the world and, and perhaps more importantly, what was going on at Studio 8H. Listen, 1992 I, I didn't even go into what was going on in pop culture because SNL was pop culture at the time. 
And that is a pattern that we see up until fairly recently, I would say. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1992, the hosts throughout season 17 of SNL included Michael Jordan, Jeff Daniels, friend of the podcast Kirstie Alley, (laughs) Christian Slater, Tom Hanks, Jerry Seinfeld, Macaulay Culkin himself. Oh my goodness. Steve Martin and a duo hosting of Roseanne and Tom Arnold. Wow, that that actually is insanely stacked. So when I'm saying that it is pop culture, I it's unbelievable. And when we get to just the musical guests of that season, I was blown away. I had to double check that Wikipedia was correct because it included Color Me Bad, Public Enemy, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Mariah Carey, MC Hammer, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and it was the iconic performance that Nirvana had where they destroyed their instruments in the second song. Mm. Huge. It was huge. And the the cast itself, absolutely stacked. It had Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, may he rest in peace, Phil Hartman, may he rest in peace, Victoria Jackson, Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, who was the Weekend Update host at the time, Mr. Chris Rock, and Julia Sweeney. And then you had the kind of new players, not the featured, but the middle players. There was uh, Siobhan Fallon, Tim Meadows, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider, and David Spade, if you can believe it. Wow. Featured, featured player include, featured players included Beth Cahill, Al Franken, <laughs> Melanie Hutzel, and Mr. Robert Smigel. Yeah, Before gonna... they just kind of made him into a writer. Yeah, we're... <laughs> they're like, you, you strike me as a behind-the-camera man, yeah, Robert. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when he does, uh, co- wait, what's his name? The Insult Comic Dog? Oh, Triumph, yeah. Yeah, when he does that, it's it's amazing. I watched the one where he and Jack McBrayer go to that uh, insulting uh, hot dog stand in Chicago. I watched that, like, once a week. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but yeah, like, this, the cast is stacked. The hosts are stacked. The musical guest was stacked. Like, 92 was an incredible year for SNL. They are on fire. Just imagining how how shitty Michael Jordan would have been at acting in comedy sketches. <laughs> yeah. You know, the only athlete that I think has been so good was Peyton Manning. Sure, yeah. I mean, a guy, yeah, guy likes being on camera. He's got a sense of humor, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jordan... Uh, no. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Um, and, uh, but he would have had two rings at that point, so he would have brought down the house. Um, it's amazing that you know that. Well, I mean, it was, it was the, the, he was partway through the first, uh, three-peat. They just had the last dance on, like, a year ago. Okay, sorry, I didn't watch it. But did, what year did Space Jam come out? Space Jam wasn't till he came back from baseball. It was, like, Oh, 96. so this is pre-Space Jam. Pre-Space Jam. Wow. Yeah, but he had two championships with the Bulls at that point. Nice. Okay. Good. Huh. You know, I learn everything all the time. <laughs> and, and it's Aww. trivia like that that's going to come into play when we talk about uh, Illinois uh, in general. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, it's nuts how stacked that cast was. Not only are there, um, you know, somebody like Dana Carvey, who's a, a brilliant uh, impressionist and uh, character actor, you have, you know, Phil Hartman and Chris Farley, who are both, like, guys that I feel so many comedians have tried to imitate, and nobody has even gotten close yeah, <laughs> to what true. either of them could do. Um, and uh, and then you have, I mean, and then you have uh, Rob Schneider, who's fine. Uh, and so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob Schneider. So, I feel bad for that guy. Uh, I mean, I don't. 
Uh, yeah, I don't I think because he's, he's, like, he's rich and it's mind. fine. Yeah. Yeah. He's rich and it's fine. Yeah. And crazy and that's great. <laughs> so should we talk about the movie? I would love to because what a delight. What a delight. And and I guess my, my first question is like, why do we think this movie works? Because it's kind hearted. I th- like, I really think that's it. I think so. I, they're all very, everybody is likable, even the villain. Yeah. I really think it's that Wayne and Garth start as very nice, polite people. Yeah. The, I, I haven't seen this since maybe I was a teenager. So mm-hmm. it was very nice to revisit and to realize that the conflict wasn't really there <laughs> in a way that I would be like, by the time the second act happens in any movie, I'm nervous. Because I'm like, something's going to go wrong. You know, right. like I'm, something I'm has not a, to go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a movie person for that reason. So like it, on a TV show, I have 21 minutes and then the whole emotional arc is over and I'm fine. But a whole movie, it's a lot for me emotionally. But this really was just such a delight all the way through because it wasn't stressful. The The main conflict is we don't want to get exploited, but we're going to make a joke about being exploited. Yeah. And then we're not exploited. The end. Yeah, and it has musical numbers, which are great. Yeah. And like, every one of my favorite types of gags is in this movie. Um, so saying a line from a commercial like it's a thing a person would actually say, that's the great <laughs> coupon joke. Love that. Uh, celebrity cameo, but the celebrity is surprisingly erudite and well-spoken. Got that. That's the Alice Cooper piece. Hell um, yeah. Uh, saying he blows goats, I have proof. Like, that's also... <laughs> also one of my favorites it's just silly and nonsensical and super fun and like what more could you ask for people have tried to do this now and it just doesn't hit as as well i just feel like there's so much comedy now that um how do i say this that like has to well well there's that but like if i think about like i don't know late 2000s judd apatow era right like there's a lot that's like okay this protagonist is a funny guy and a smart guy, but he's a he's a dick and he's self centered, right? And we're gonna right. show we're gonna show growth. And it's like, yeah, I get it, but uh, I don't. But like, then I have to watch them be a dick and be self centered for like the first two and a half hours of your three hour movie. <laughs> and uh, and I don't want to do that. And yeah, Wayne's World true. just skips all that. It skips all that, and it gives the opportunity for us to get to know the characters where they're just kind of having a having fun and having ideas where they're like their values are very clear for the like it's very obvious they're just really cool dudes who just want to have a good time they want to rock out with their socks off yeah they're just <laughs> and, they're, yeah they're driving around in their shitty car around their shitty suburb listening to bohemian rhapsody and singing along to it. And that's something that I identify very strongly yeah. with. And they like go younger. to like they go to the instrument store and there's a an amazing guitar that they want to play. Like that's their big want. I yeah. love it. It's so good. <laughs> the it, stakes should be lower and things should be dumber. I think <laughs> that that is the solution for everything. There's we should also just have less things to watch. Yes, also that. There's too much. Um, I think we all I think because we all have so many things that we watch we all reference everything that we watch, so nothing new is happening, plus reboots and stuff. Yeah. I, that's so, just my theory. So the opening scene, like, we see them do basically a Wayne's World sketch. 
Right. Um, so they're in Wayne's basement. They're taping um, with Wayne and Garth. They bring on a local guy who invented a vacuum slash hair cutter uh, type <laughs> invention. And it gets uh, plastered to Garth's head and like almost pulls his hair off. Um, it's sucking my will to live. Right, exactly. Oh, the humanity. It sucks as it cuts. Well, it certainly sucks. Like, and that's <laughs> that's about the level of humor you would get on a Wayne's World sketch. Yeah. But then you they get Wayne. Took, oh, they, sorry, go do, ahead. do you think it's really funny that the sketches, obviously they're written in a week. I would I would say they get like four or five days to really like no not even four days to hone mm-hmm. in the jokes this is the best that they could do with like a long period of time and i think it's great <laughs> and, and they do that but then we get wayne kind of bringing us up to speed so there's a lot of direct address to the camera yes um which does not always work it does here yes um, mainly because they vary it up a bit like wayne's funny but then when they switch to garth and garth's always like uh i don't have a lot to say right now like he's that's so hilarious he's so sweet <laughs> Um, but Wayne explains, like, he lives with his parents in Aurora. What he really wants to do is he wants to do Wayne's World for a living. Uh, and he says, it might happen. Uh, and then he says, yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. Uh, which is Such classic. a simple, such a simple, uh, Disney princess want. Yes. I just want to do Wayne's World for my job. And the equivalent of Belle going through the village and having the people sing to her is when they drive through Aurora. Uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yes. And, you know, obviously this is a very well-known piece of trivia, but Dana Carvey didn't know the lyrics to <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, and he was really pissed with the uh, shot that they picked because it, it obviously looks like he doesn't know But the that's, like, the funniest part of the movie. Yeah. It's it, sweet. It's really funny. Also, the three guys that are in the back seat are, like, legitimate actors that are in a lot of serious things. <laughs> So it's really great to see them, really young, like, doing yeah. silly things. It's really, really great. Also, yeah. they all injured themselves doing this, by the way. <laughs> but when they when they play um, when they play Bohemian Rhapsody, like Nadia said, there's a shot of Garth singing along, and he doesn't know the words. And it's like, <laughs> it's a song, first of all, it's a song where it's very easy to hear what the words are. <laughs> yeah. But, but they zoom in on him, like, mouthing the words, and he clearly has no idea what he's talking about. And it's... A great character moment to explain Garth, yeah. and it's funny as hell. Yeah, um, it's great. And what we didn't say was at the beginning of the movie, Ioni Sky, who was known for uh, being in Say Anything and married to a Beastie Boy in real life, uh, she was watching TV with Rob Lowe in bed eating pizza. Why would you have food in bed? I don't know. That's that's and- how you get ants. Exactly, and they she she wants to watch it. She comes across it. Rob Lowe is like, I have a great idea, and this plants the seed of our villain. Yes, um, not the only movie, of course, where not the only Lorne Michaels produced movie where Rob Lowe is the villain. Right. <laughs> he obviously he's a villain in real life. Yes. As an actor, very funny. Very, all, you know, very which, good comedic villain. Yeah, and very good in uh, Parks and Rec. People forget just because he's so handsome and has done so many dra- dramatic things like on the West Wing and things like that. But he's very funny. He is very funny guy. But a disgusting human being. But you look at him, you're like, that guy strikes me as the type who would fuck a 16-year-old. Uh, so. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Uh, so they so they drive around the city. They stop at the donut shop. They meet Officer Kuharski. Um, Wayne's got a great. Do you smell bacon? 
Uh, yeah, I definitely smell a pork product of some type. <laughs> so Wayne says a cap, which stands for all cops are bacon. Uh, and uh, there's a great joke about how uh, the cop had to just stop a bus full of people and give them all cavity searches. <laughs> I love that guy. I also love that there is just like a camaraderie between the cop and the dudes because in any other movie these are like burnout guys that cops would be like fuck these kids yeah. but he's like they're pal and i yeah. loved it yeah and he comes through in the end um he does and then uh ian roberts has a small role <laughs> as the uh murderous cafe owner the the coffee shop owner ian roberts isn't that him no no that's the ted bundy guy Oh, it's Ed O'Neill. You're right. Yeah, well, Ed O'Neill. They sound the same. Wow. Uh, I have never experienced a white man confusing two white men. It happens, okay? We <laughs> exist. And we are valid. <laughs> that was my favorite thing. Okay. Yeah, well, he is a murderous <laughs> manager slash owner of this donut coffee place, which obviously, you know, what a weird thing. Is it because... Is his name Ted Bundy on the Unmarried with Children, or is this yeah. pre? No, no, no. It's um, it's not Ted Bundy because Ted Bundy's an actual <laughs> right murderer. Um, this is good. Let's look this up in real time. Uh, married with. Children. I thought it would be like commentary on that, but that's wrong. Uh, that would be funny if there's like that's a little Easter egg for the Ted Bundy. Yeah. Fans. <laughs> uh, it's Al. Al Bundy. Yeah. Got it, got it. You know, it was wishful thinking. I think I think I'm too good of a comedy writer for this. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, miss can tell white <laughs> men apart. <laughs> well, yeah, so that that establishes a runner we'll see for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And uh, then he tried to talk to the camera, and Wayne stops him, and he's like, no, 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 only Wayne and I, or only Garth and I can speak into the camera now that see that's making direct address to the camera work in your film <laughs> yes, it's so good brilliant and, and the other oh go oh, ahead please go ahead i was gonna say the other runner that gets established in this scene is we meet wayne's ex uh stacy um who, always wearing a prom dress always who is uh you know like uh, as as wayne will describe her later in the film a psycho hose beast and she <laughs> Um, there's two lines here, which I still say all the time, but she's like, she doesn't think that she and Wayne are actually broken up. She's obsessed with him. She gives him a gun or she gives him a gun rack, but she gives him a present. And Wayne says, if this is a severed head, I'm going to be very upset, uh, which is the first line I love. And then he opens it. It's a gun rack. And he says, I don't even own a gun, <laughs> let alone enough guns to necessitate an entire rack. I love Stacy because she is the one unbelievable thing in the movie because nobody would be uh, stalking Wayne no. in this way. <laughs> I was like, mm, she's too hot. Makes makes no sense. <laughs> Honestly, like, it makes no sense that anyone would be into Wayne or Garth, but it's funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll let this slide, but yeah. this was the first thing where I was like, mm, a little unbelievable. <laughs> um, and then they go to Gasworks. Hell yeah, where Meatloaf is the front security guard. Yes, and gets uh, another great line here. Who's playing? The shitty Beatles. The shitty Beatles, are they good? <laughs> I love that. I love that. And also, uh, this is where we 
are introduced to the iconic line of swing. Yeah, swing. When he sees we see what's her name? Yeah, Cassandra. Cassandra yeah. is it, yeah. She's hot. She's a babe. Uh, she is, it's a use Wayne's term. She's not a slam piece, because that's not a thing that we call women on this podcast. Certainly haven't before. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I do think some of the she will be mine dialogue <laughs> around Cassandra is a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. I think that might be the only thing where I was like, mm. uh, also just the fact in. that she's a love interest and that's it. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're not saying this movie is perfect, but it is close. <laughs> it is close. Definitely one of the better ones that we've done. So we get introduced to her character, who's a super hot bass player for uh, uh, just totally baller band playing at Gasworks. And then she beats up a guy in the club, too. So she's also, like, super confident and tough. And so Wayne just goes swing. Uh, yeah, which is I mean, the- she's a pre-Manic Pixie dream girl, but she is uh badass yeah hottie yeah. babe yes yes i miss when love interests were like a little tough and a little scary oh wow i guess someone hasn't been watching wandavision uh so the... no <laughs> <laughs> uh so um so they meet uh she invites him to the rent party uh they have, um, I mean, that's kind of all that happens in the club, really. It's it's honestly just there to establish who her character is. And I guess to establish Wayne and Garth a little more. Yeah, uh, well, Garth, um, you know, is a nice guy. But when you push his buttons, oh, he, will God, use, he will use some invention that he created that he keeps in the trunk of his car to destroy you. Which is... <laughs> Which so is, is such a small, weird joke, but I loved it. There And this happens a couple times with Garth in the film, is there are a couple weird throwaway gags that they deliberately never explain. And one is why he has, like, a souped-up cattle prod in the trunk of his car. Well, we do find out way later that he's really good with, like, technology. Yes. So I guess this is, like, our little intro to it. But mostly it was just to get revenge on a guy who was not being mean to a generally nice guy. So, you know, don't fuck, you know, don't fuck with Garth. Don't fuck bully. with Because he will use some sort of electrical prod to destroy <laughs> your ass. Um, and right after this scene, I'm probably going to say this a few times, but one of my absolute favorite lines in the movie, which is the Grey Poupon gag. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so way back in the day, there was a commercial. <laughs> Unbelievably dated reference, but Unbelievably dated Anybody who is probably younger than 25 will be like, what the fuck? But there was a commercial that was on all the time where there were old people in the backseat of like a carriage, like a beautiful car, and somebody rolled, they rolled their window down and somebody asks if they have gray poupon. Because that's something rich people carry with them. Exactly. Because it's, like, it's, a, uh, it's, it's fancy mustard. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> And, and so Wayne and Garth and, and the gang in the Mirthmobile uh, drive up next to, like, a fancy limo, and Wayne asks guy to roll down his window and says, do you have any gray poupon? And then everyone in the Mirthmobile just loses their shit. <laughs> and it's so do so you stupid. in the audience. It's so stupid. I love it. It's such a stupid joke that doesn't matter at all in 2021, but damned if I didn't laugh out loud at it. I really think that they really captured what it's like to live in a suburb yes where it's like the the coolest place you can go is a place where you can see a band play 
And yes. then you just fuck around with your friends in the car, and then you make your own shit. It's perfect. One, 100% correct. I love it. Okay, so we need to get into the villains. Ah, the villains. The so vague, we, ha- we have Rob villain. Lowe, yes. and then we have uh, another former SNL cast member, Bill Murray's brother, Brian Doyle Murray. Um, as I had the... no idea. He's on, um, he was on Scandal, I think. Yeah, probably. Uh, he's in, um, he's the guy who looks like Bill Murray in all those movies. He's in Groundhog <laughs> Day as, like, the main groundhog handler. Right. Uh, um, but, uh, he's, he's a corrupt, cynical <laughs> children's arcade tycoon. <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, this plot is a little far-fetched. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing fast and loose with that word. Yeah. It's just uh, stuff that happens. Who thinks kids are stupid, but he yes. welcomes the opportunity to advertise to them. I want to point out that I am playing D&D with some friends every Saturday, and just this past weekend, we fought a gelatinous cube. And so when he brought up that there was yes. a game called Xantar, where there was a gelatinous cube, I got really excited. <laughs> I love that the gelatinous cube has just maintained its power throughout time. A really enduring villain uh, in general. <laughs> it was great. But uh, yeah, so we we find out that he wants to market to younger kids because he gets all these new games at his arcade, but they're, the advertising and the commercials that he does don't keep up with how fast the games happen. So Rob Lowe's solution is what if we put your information and your advertising on a show like Wayne's World and the guy is like this is stupid kids don't know anything and they actually stand up for kids today and they're like no like kids can smell phonies from a mile away and he's like okay let me think about it but he gets coerced (laughs) he gets coerced by the charm of Rob Lowe and his purple suit He's a good he's a good villain. In this case he's Roblo is basically like the ad sales guy for the for the station. Um and, and is like, yeah, we you know, he he manipulates Brian Doyle Murray into agreeing to advertise on the show. And so Roblo has to go basically get the rights to the show for his network. Um so he sits in on a taping of Wayne's World, uh, where they're discussing uh how hot Claudia Schiffer is. <laughs> Showing she tested very high on the stroke ability scale. Yeah. And then we hear, that's what she said, which, okay, I went into a whole click hole about that joke. Uh-huh. It originated in England, and it's something like, that's what she said to the bishop. That's what it actually is from. Mm-hmm. But it, now throughout, like, all of pop culture, it, like, you see a lot of it throughout. But then the office happened, the right. BBC office first than the American office. And now it's just like run into the ground. But this is a very, this joke gets huge laughs pre the office. Oh yeah. Early, early adapter. It fucking Uh, kills. (laughs) Uh, Time ruins everything, folks. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Is what we're saying. Uh, Roblo takes uh, Garth and Wayne out for drinks at a tropical bar and grill in Aurora. Uh, He offers them $5,000 for the show. Uh, they just kind of sign the contract blindly. Garth is a little suspicious, and he says so to the camera after <laughs> making a big show of dropping his pen, going down to get it, and bringing the camera with him. I love Garth. He's the best. He's so sweet and kind and docile. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but but the it, it, I think just the combination of Garth being sweet and kind and docile, and then occasionally flying into manic rages, yeah, uh, really does it for he's me. He's the he is the one I most relate to. Yes, because I feel like I'm really sweet and kind and generally pretty quiet and a little shy. But like if you you know get me in in front of a drum set, I'll fucking shred. <laughs> Well, and Garth also has a great moment in this scene because Rob Lowe's like, do you guys have a lawyer? Which they don't. And Wayne's like, uh, we're between lawyers right now. And Garth <laughs> says, yeah, I walked right into his office and said, hey, man, I'm not going to jail for you or anybody. <laughs> I want a whole movie about Garth, honestly. It, well, they made two that he shared with Wayne, so it adds up to one. Yeah, yeah, one that's movie. fair, that's fair, that's fair. Um, so then we get back to the Gasworks. And Stacy's there, and uh, <laughs> Garth gives her some advice. He's like, look, you just got to get over it. Just go out with somebody else. She grabs a random man yeah. and takes him up to the roof because that is where Wayne is with Cassandra. Yes, yeah. And actually, I think this is the, I think this is Cassandra's place. This is like the rent party. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Um, but yeah, that's where Wayne is with Cassandra. So, so Stacy, the ex is, like, basically jumping on top of this strange man to try to get Wayne's attention. But um, Wayne doesn't care because he's been studying Cantonese. speaking fluent <laughs> Cantonese. <laughs> to Cassandra, and there is that gag from, I don't know, like, foreign movies where the people say one sentence that is so short, but yeah. the subtitles are, like... They have to like, wait for the subtitles. <laughs> so long. So yeah. they do that gag, but they have this really intelligent and in-depth conversation about, like, life. <laughs> it's really, truly beautiful. Um, some great moments here. Uh, your band Wales, it's like listening to Live at Budokan, which is a reference to the album by Cheap Trick, who is, of course, from Rockford, Illinois, so A-plus Illinois reference. Um... And then uh, Wayne also looks at the camera at one point and says, Zang, which is translated uh, from Cantonese as excellent. Uh, I had a friend in college uh, named Zang, uh, so uh, we would say that to him a lot. <laughs> I bet he loved it. Not really, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it's okay. Uh, but, but this is, I mean, they're just moving things along. That's the, the movie's paced really well. Wayne and Cassandra, this is the boy meets girl, and now they're, like, basically together. Right. Uh, and they're again, in a Judd Apatow cute. film, this would be two and a half hours. Yeah, no, this would have been like right at the end because nobody <laughs> in those movies is allowed to be happy. <laughs> um, uh, and then we get kind of a nice sort of reflective Wayne and Garth scene where they're hanging out by the airport. Um, yeah, and they get to talk about, you know, what's going on in their lives. And, like, Wayne is super into Cassandra. She's a she's a Abraham Lincoln. She's Abraham Lincoln. In France, she'd be called La Renard and hunted with only her cunning to protect her. <laughs> uh, one line that from this scene that I thought was really sweet was, uh, was it the scene? It's Led Zeppelin didn't write tunes that everyone liked. They left that to the Bee Gees. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, and also, uh, did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress and played Girl Bunny? <laughs> question from Garth. I and love Wayne's reaction is just so sweet. He just laughs, like, really, like, you're a sweet guy. Yeah. No. He laughs so hard. He's like, no. And Garth is like, yeah, good. Me neither. <laughs> These dudes are, like, the best of pals. They're the best pals. And that's the thing is they care about each other. There's, like, I guess one moment where... 
towards the end of the film where they have like a falling out but it lasts like five minutes i know i was really stressed the (laughs) the illusion of a conflict um but everything's moving along nicely i'm excited at this point we're like getting into act two um and and i'm just having a lovely time with my pals wayne and garth yeah and we get to see them in their upgraded studio 55 east wacker establishing shot of chicago the greatest city in the world Uh, and debatable go on and uh and yeah and now they're in with the producer and they're running some just (laughs) the bit of the countdown is my favorite bit it goes on for so long it's so dumb it's so dumb but it's so funny (laughs) when you count down to action it is five four three and then you point Right. But you don't say two or one. You don't say two or one out loud. <laughs> and then they practice like a multiple lot. times. <laughs> the, uh, Wayne and Garth don't count along. We can see your mouth moving. <laughs> it's such a good gag. They bring it up twice, which is the best part. It's uh, like the, they totally broke the rule of threes, but it's such a good gag they had to. The uh, they also do a lot of blue screen gags, and again, one of the lines I quote all the time is, "Look, Garth, I'm in Delaware." <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so good. What a delight. What a delight. Um, and then they meet um Brian Doyle Murray's character, basically. Ooh, exploiter, Ooh. capitalist. Yeah. Um, I would have loved to have seen this in theaters. You know, just I like know. audience booing and hissing for the bad guy. <laughs> Maybe they'll do it for, like, the 50th anniversary, because we'll be alive for that. Yeah, 2042, I'll pencil it in. See 50th anniversary Wayne's World. Can we go together? Yeah, we can go together. Theatrical release. Cool. Yeah. Your daughter can drive us. (laughs) (laughs) Because we'll be too fucking old. (laughs) I mean, hang on, let me check. So, what did I say, 2042? Okay, Uh great. Well, I'll be 53. (laughs) Oh, okay. We're not be that old. I'll yeah. still be sucking and fucking. <laughs> I have big plans for myself. <laughs> um, I might cut some of this laughter. We- we got um, <laughs> season four, probably should have, still sucking and fucking. And so we uh, we get to, um, so, so we meet Brian Doyle Murray's character. He has a super cringe scene where he raps. Um, oh, God, it's so bad. But it's, me- it's meant to be meant to be cringy. Right, right. Um, Wayne gets him with the asphincter says what classic bit. Classic, classic <laughs> bit. Um, and the, the other, you know, we get another um quality moment of just wayne and garth hanging out which is them playing hockey in the street i love it it's such a suburban thing it's a a suburban experience to be playing in the middle of the street and being like car and have to stop because there's a car coming it's so good i feel like relatable moments are just gone you know what i mean this is very relatable, and then also I laughed out loud when Stacy rode past them on a bike and crashed into a car. <laughs> Me too. Her bike was sick, though. It was pink. Uh, it's a good sight gag. 
Uh, we're just flying through this, and the honest answer is uh, because everything about it is good. Like this it's is so just good. us. This is celebrating what is the best of Saturday Night Live uh, movies, which is they're dumb, they're short, and they're relatable. Yes, we'll get into the King of Staten Island later. <laughs> yeah, it's Pat is not gonna hold up to this same standard. Maybe. I, I did watch that a lot as a kid. I'm very interested to see it again. Okay, well, guys, hold your breath for the It's Pat episode coming soon. <laughs> um, well, we move on because, yeah. again, flying through the plot, yeah. we move on to Rob Lowe inviting everyone over to his fucking fuck pad. Is, it the, is the fuck pad right away or do we have no stairway first? Oh, we have no stairway. Yeah. I was just so enthralled by that scene. I did not take notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no stairway is great. The, the piece of trivia here is, um, so Wayne goes to buy the, the fancy Fender guitar now that he has money, and he um, takes out the guitar and he plays something, and the the uh, guy at the guitar shop stops him and points to the sign, which says, no stairway to heaven. Now, you don't hear stairway to heaven in the movie. <laughs> Mike <laughs> yeah. Myers played it on the guitar but they couldn't clear it so they ADR'd just a random guitar riff <laughs> and uh just had to turn that into a no stairway joke um and then the other notable gag is Rob Lowe walking up to Garth in the studio and saying Garth how, what do you think about making a change to the show and Garth, we fear change. Who, for some reason, is working on a robotic humanoid hand, <laughs> says, "We fear change," and just smashes the hand with a hammer. And they never it. explain it. I know, and they never explain that he also is like a virtuoso at the drums. Yes, right. At the music store, he's just and that he actually played the drums, which is pretty sick. Fucking yeah. Dana Carvey, and then the most iconic line, which I like to say a lot, is some guy was like, "You're so good," and he's like, "I like to play." I like to play. <laughs> I love it. Love it so much. Okay. Why aren't things this good anymore? Uh, Rob Lowe's fuck pad. Let's talk about it. Ah, the fuck pad. So, I love that he has, like, pickup artist books. Yeah, it's not instinctual. He had to learn it, which I love. It humanized <laughs> him a little bit. Um, so, yeah, he slowly becomes more sympathetic as, as it goes Yeah, yeah I, like I said, everybody in this movie grows, okay? Mm -hmm. So he has Wayne and Garth and Cassandra because he has a double scheme going on. He's exploiting Wayne and Garth, but also he's exploiting Cassandra and her band. Mm -hmm. And because he wants to fuck her. So he's yes. like, I'm going to get you famous, and I'm going to make a music video for you, etc., etc. <laughs> but I'm going to invite all of you over to my fuck pad so I can impress you with my amazing fuck pad and the fact that I can order Chinese food in Cantonese. In Cantonese. What a, what a schemey fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's got the... So Garth goes snoop... With the camera, Garth goes snooping through Rob Lowe's place. Love finds it. the pickup artist books. He finds the condoms ribbed for her pleasure. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, um, and, and, you know, Wayne is like, wow, this guy's really good. And Rob Lowe, in order to get Wayne and Garth out of town, gives them tickets to see Alice Cooper in Milwaukee. Backstage passes. Hell yeah. Um, Wait, there was one joke we did not cover, which was uh, Rob Lowe ordering Chinese food, and then <laughs> Wayne says, I'll take the cream of some young guy. 
<laughs> yeah, if ever, yeah. everyone but Rob Lowe loses their mind. <laughs> what a joke. But yeah, yeah, Alice Cooper. I have to just say on a personal note, my parents love Alice Cooper. Oh, and I, I, I totally forgot that he was in this movie. I got so fucking stoked. Yeah, he does my, great. We see, like, we see a basically a full performance of Feed My Frankenstein. Incredible. Um, for some reason, they do recreate the entire opening sequence of Laverne and Shirley on their way up <laughs> to Milwaukee. It's so good. It's a very good recreation. I would say it's another one that's super dated. Yeah, but it was great, and they really committed. Yes. They really committed. It was really lovely and just nonsense. Yeah. Oh, um, silliness. I miss silliness. And on their way backstage, uh, they run into the security guard, who's played by Chris Farley. Uh, uh, Chris Farley. Peace. His first movie. This was really? His first, yeah, this was his first movie role. Uh, well, he does a great job because he, as they say multiple times in the movie, will provide information that is key to the plot resolving. <laughs> yeah, they point that out. You know, keep that in your back pocket. Yeah. Uh, because we, we have to go see Alice Cooper. Yeah, sees Alice Cooper. They meet him and, you know, like, hey, is it okay if we hang out? He's like, yeah, sure. Come on in, guys. Um, and honestly, another one of my favorite scenes where they're just like, uh, do you visit Milwaukee often? And Alice Cooper, like, like perfect line delivery, absolutely serious. Well, I'm a visitor, but Milwaukee is no stranger to visitors. The French fur trappers and early Catholic missionaries were here as early as the 1600s. Um, it was like, hey, Alice, I heard Milwaukee is an Indian, is a Native American name. Uh, that's right, Peter, it is. It's the Algonquin Milwaukee, meaning <laughs> the good land. Yeah, so what happened was Alice Cooper was known as being, like, a historian, and he would, like, mansplain history to people all the time, and it was, like, a joke that he was just, like, always rattling off facts. And so Alice Cooper thought he was just going to be coming onto set and doing, like, a let's meet Wayne and Garth scene that's, like, super fast. Mm -hmm. And they wrote him the monologue, <laughs> and, he, and he, didn't, he didn't have time to learn it, but he, like, knew that information already. <laughs> So I'm not saying it was improvised, but he learned that very quickly, or I guess the order of the facts that he already knew very quickly, and they were just like in awe of him, and that's why they did the we're not worthy, we're not worthy. thing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Alice it's... Cooper is fucking amazing. Yeah, he was in Jesus Christ Superstar once too. Ah, uh, <laughs> plays uh, plays King Herod. He only gets one song, but it's the best song. Uh, yeah. So. so Act three, folks. It's time for the first show on the new network. Oh, yeah. I, I keep forgetting that they... It was just rehearsals, what they were doing. Yes. Okay. Um. So it's the first show. Brian Doyle Murray uh, is going to be there to plug his arcade. And the set is weird because they've recreated Wayne's basement in a television studio. They redo the entire theme song to a shade. See, this, the, mess, the message of this movie is that, like, commercial and capitalist forces make what's good and fun, like hanging out with your friends, doing a local access show, just sucks all the life out of it. Yeah, it totally waters everything down. They get an announcer where, like, he's the one who says, party on Wayne yeah. and party on Garth in the most dry, <laughs> professional way ever. Just awful, and the guys are so thrown by it. So Nobody upset. let them know. 
Nobody let them know, and they're pissed. Uh, I'm Wayne, and this is Garth Party on Garth, I guess. <laughs> My favorite thing in the world is when you're friends with a punk of some kind, and somebody does something that pisses off the punk, and their initial reaction is, I'm going to fuck with these people. And that is what Wayne and Garth do. And it's amazing. <laughs> so, you know, the producer tells Wayne, hey, just read what's on the cards. And Wayne does that. But he's written some stuff on the back of the cards. Yes, yeah, sphincter boy. This man has no penis. <laughs> and the best the best one, again, is he blows goats, I have proof. <laughs> and the guy has no idea. Garth, everyone's losing it in the, in the control room. Garth is losing it on the couch, but he's, like, playing it off. It's yeah. so great, but... We have to face some consequences because yeah. we're almost at the end of the movie. Something has to happen. Yeah. Show gets shut down and Garth is pissed. Uh, Cassandra's pissed for some other reason. It doesn't even really matter why, but Wayne was like, Rob Lowe's only using you because he wants to wants to have sex with you, and that offends Cassandra. Well, yeah. And because uh, Yeah, because she, she's really in it because she's very talented. Yes. How dare he? How yeah. dare he insinuate that? But also, Wayne is technically correct. <laughs> I know, it's really sad. <laughs> um, so Garth uh, retreats to the donut shop and builds a little uh, Mr. Donut Head Man and stabs him. Because <laughs> he's pissed. Because he's upset. Um, and and basically, Wayne. Th- this is the only real conflict in the film, is Wayne has a falling out with everyone over this. And it's resolved in like five minutes. Yeah, he talks into the camera about it. He's like, I'm pissed off at that my show, we don't own our show, so I don't have a show anymore. Uh, I'm pissed off that I lost my best friend, which, uh, which I don't actually remember why they end up not being friends. And then he's like, I'm missing my girl. This really sucks. And then the camera's about to walk away. Yes. And he's like, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me fix what's happening. See, I need, I need again, to fix this. It's good if then with the camera stuff. So good. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, so he reconciles with everyone super quickly at the coffee shop. Um, he's like, we're going to get that record executive that Chris Farley was talking about. Yeah, yeah, up. we're going to get that information that was very long yeah. and complicated. Wow, and we're going to apply it. Good thing we were listening to that security guard. <laughs> yeah, so they're, what they're going to do is Garth is going to use his incredible intellect and his knowledge of technology, and he's going to use a satellite to bounce off of a bunch of different things into a very specific uh, limousine where a record executive is going to watch Cassandra's band perform on their reboot of Wayne's World. Yes. Huge. Huge promise to make to yeah. everyone. And Get yet Cassandra he follows through. Cassandra a record through. deal. That's the goal. So Wayne right. can win her back. Yeah. Um, so... They all, you know, they all start uh, moving into place to get that to happen. Wayne starts driving up to Chicago. Again, another very dated reference. He's stopped by the T-1000 robot from Terminator 2. Have you seen this boy? Yeah. Um, so a, co- a couple of these don't 100% land anymore. Still worth watching, in my opinion. Still, yeah, it's still great. And then we show up to Rob Lowe's big music video shoot that he sets up for Cassandra. And there is a very heavy-handed metaphor where (laughs) she is in, she's in like a Tarzan, her whole band is like dressed like Tarzan, she's Jane, and she Mm -hmm. has this snake on her. Mm -hmm. 
And the snake is not cooperating, so she, like, hands it over to Rob Lowe, Hmm. who is holding a snake. Metaphor. And then the snake is, like, grazing her boobs, and she's like, is that you? And in a way, yeah. 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 It is. (laughs) It was beautiful. This is for people who watched the uh, music video to Slave For You, and they were like, I don't get it. I need something a little more direct. (laughs) It's great. I feel like they should cover this specific moment for metaphors in film classes. (laughs) It's so nuanced, you know? Do you remember in He's Just Not That Into You from season two when Jennifer Aniston dumps Ben Affleck and the camera pans over a painting, which is just the word should six times? (laughs) That is in the same class. Same class. I'm I'm teaching it. (laughs) Join my, register for my class at NadiaVasquezClasses.com. So, uh, Wayne gives his big Oscar speech to Cassandra, uh, which... It really says Oscar clip And they just superimpose that on the screen. And he he gets water on his face. It looks like he's crying. It's great. Wins her back. She's going to do a show in his basement. Meanwhile, Garth is stealing all the equipment from the studio (laughs) so they can shoot Wayne's World again. It's like a mini montage of all of their friends just, like, crawling on the grass outside. And he has keys in his pockets, and it's making everything really hard. Instead of just taking them out, he doesn't. It's great. And uh, the producer, Russell, (laughs) stops them. And uh, great, again, another just great line where he's like, you shouldn't shouldn't help Benjamin. Benjamin is Rob Lowe's character. You shouldn't help Benjamin. If Benjamin were an ice cream flavor, he'd be pralines and dick. It's so good, and the guys are all just, like, really supportive of Wayne and Garth. And eventually, they win over this producer guy. Yeah. So everyone's won over except Rob Lowe, who is racing to Aurora. Yeah. Uh, He gets stopped by Officer Kuharski. Uh Uh-oh. Who who knows he has to delay him, so he decides to uh, shove his hand up Rob Lowe's butt. Yeah, he's the only ally cop that we've ever had <laughs> in America. Um, so uh, so we get the final kind of chase scene, which is to Ballroom Blitz, which, uh, which rules. Great song. Uh, and uh, we get to see Rob Lowe uh, get out of his car very slowly. <laughs> we get to see that three times. Three times. <laughs> but the first one, he runs in, and uh, Cassandra and her band are fucking shredding the song mm-hmm. and they, they've gotten all the equipment set up they're broadcasting and it does work garth is so smart and he got the stream over to that limousine and you see the record executive tapping his feet it's like oh this is very promising mm-hmm. but it's not uh, he comes in he's like you know i can't offer you a deal it's and not then, your time yeah stacy comes in she's pregnant with wayne's baby uh, and then the control panel blows up and the house burns down. Cassand- yeah, and Cassandra and Rob Lowe end up fucking on an island. End up moving to an island together, and Rob Lowe says to the camera, you didn't really think she'd end up with Wayne, do you? And that's the ending. The end. Just kidding! Or is it? Yeah. Not! <laughs> 
so then we do the second of three endings, which is uh, the best ending, which is the Scooby Doo ending. Yes. So we do the iconic as they, uh, you know, are rolled across the screen. Yeah. And the Scooby Doo ending is exactly the same thing, but the record executive. No, Rob Lowe is some creepy guy. Oh, old man Withers who runs the abandoned amusement park. <laughs> and, uh, and that... At the, at the very beginning of the film, when they're in the coffee shop, they do walk past old man Withers. And yes. Wayne says, old man Withers, how's the amusement park? <laughs> so they set they it really up, said they that. They set that up. Yeah. They knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So good. And, of, of course, that's not the real ending so we we have to really we, we're wrapping it up we're getting close to 90 minutes <laughs> so we have, super happy ending cassandra gets the record deal uh wayne's world gets a television deal rob Lowe learns that he can be a better person too um and it ends with wayne and garth looking at the camera and saying isn't it great that we're all better people fuck yeah it is and and that's kind of it. Well, there was a great line at the end. One of the producer, the producer guy says, I've learned that platonic love can exist between two men. I love that, too. That was um, great. It just, what a delightful 94 minutes. Um, still great to watch it today, I would say. Um, arguably, uh, if not the single best Saturday Night Live film, I would say easily top three. Oh, man. I mean, we haven't gotten to Superstar yet. Don't say that. <laughs> that's and, one of my faves uh yeah i i ha there are some that i have soft spots for too that i really shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> i'm really excited because for the most part snl movies are just a silly fun time that, so, yeah that that's that's exact i'm just looking at it and i'm like nothing bad is gonna happen for 90 minutes yeah it's great i just finished watching shadow and bone on netflix and it made me so anxious because the stakes were so high that watching this was just the cherry on top to a really nice weekend it was an absolute delight cannot recommend it enough um and we got uh other movies coming up that will uh, linger in the shadow of this film yeah um so uh Instead of pulling, like, a Roger Ebert review of this movie, I assume he liked it, uh, instead of pulling that... <laughs> yeah, uh, Roger Ebert fucking rules. Yeah. He probably was like, this fucking movie wails. Yeah. Uh, instead of that, um, we have a new segment that we're doing. Um, so, all of these movies are, have a very specific objective, right? And that's right. Uh, to help a Saturday Night Live cast member make the jump into features. Right. Um... And so I want to see if it actually worked uh, for these people in a segment that I'm calling Good For Them. Uh, and so... Uh, I think this I is don't... an understatement for one of our cast members. <laughs> so Mike Myers uh, perhaps uh, doesn't need a lot of explanation because he became one of the most successful comedy actors uh, of like two different decades. Mm -hmm. um, he was in, of course, the Austin Powers trilogy, which... The first Austin Powers film especially, I would put on the same level as Wayne's World. Um, there's some just unbelievably funny shit in there. <laughs> and yeah. it's just a fun, good time. He was also in four Shrek movies, uh, which right. happened to also be a very popular series. I did not know this. Chris Farley was originally cast as Shrek. He was. Yeah. May he rest in oh. peace. May he rest in peace. Myers uh, semi-retired from acting. Uh, in 2012. The more interesting story uh, is Dana Carvey. Um, so, you know, Dana Carvey, when he was on Saturday Night Live, he was a, he was a great 
character actor. Um, he like the church lady was another one of his great characters, um, and he did a great uh, George H. W. Bush impression. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, iconic. Is nominated for five Emmy awards and won uh, one of them for his work on Saturday Night Live. Um, I did not know this either, but after Letterman uh, went to CBS, he was offered the hosting job uh, for Late Night for the no the, way yeah for the twelve thirty NBC show. Um, so he turned that down because he was a new dad and he didn't want to lose time with his kids. And, oh, what uh, a cool guy. And, and, yeah, he really so, is Garth. Yeah, and so Conan ended up getting the job, right? Um, Fuck yeah. Thank he, you, Dana Carvey. Yeah, he also had a short-lived sketch show on ABC in 1996 called The Dana Carvey, the Dana Carvey Show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bring it up because The Dana Carvey Show like had this famously stacked cast and writer's room. Um, so the head writer was, uh, Louis C.K., and we'll just kind of move past that, uh... <laughs> go, fast and loose. Go, but, go, go. um, Robert Carlock, who, of course, would go on to become Tina Fey's writing partner, uh, Bob Odenkirk, Greg Daniels, Robert Smigel, uh, Dino Stamatopoulos, uh, Charlie Kaufman, of all people, uh, wow. wrote for this show, and then, uh, two kind of brand new comedic actors, uh, were, uh, in the cast, and they were named Stephen Colbert and Steve Carell. Oh! Uh, so, uh, and they would get hired by The Daily Show because of their work on The Dana Carvey Show. Is there anywhere where we could watch The Dana Carvey Show? Yes, it's on Hulu, I believe. Sweet, um, okay. But, here's what I'm gonna say about it, uh... The show uh, lost half of their sponsors after the first episode. Oh, no. Uh, So what happened was uh, the very first sketch of the show, the very first sketch, and again, the lead-in to this show was Home Improvement. Oh, no. (laughs) The very first sketch was Dana Carvey playing Bill Clinton, doing an Oval Office address, and in order to show that he was a caring, nurturing president... Uh, Bill Clinton was nursing multiple dogs, cats, and babies through multiple prosthetic nipples all over his chest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So the show was canceled after seven episodes. Damn. Okay. Um, It was the subject of a documentary uh, in 2017 called Too Funny to Fail, uh, which is on Hulu as well. Um, and this is kind of like a flagship example of a show that nobody watched that got canceled very quickly, but is remembered as ahead of its time, especially for the talent um, that was on it. Uh, Carby himself has said uh, the show was made without creative compromises. He's proud. He's proud about that. Um, it's way less racy than what's on network today. That's probably mm-hmm. true. Yeah, that's um, true. But he acknowledges like. The show shouldn't have been on a network in prime time in 1996. Like, you know just... what I also feel? What show falls into that category is Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a very good point. So yeah, so he had that. Um, he also had an infamous flop movie called The Master of Disguise. I'm going to be the Master of Disguise. <laughs> where he plays an Italian spy named Pistachio Disguise. So first of all. I love this movie, though. First of all, extremely racist. Uh, (laughs) It's so good. uh, He basically stopped doing movies after that, and he said, like, he wasn't spending enough time with his kids when he was doing the sketch show, when he was doing movies. He always liked stand-up better than acting. So what he has been doing is he's he's literally been doing, like, corporate gigs. He's literally been doing, like, sales meetings and stuff like that. 
Mm. Um, and he said in an interview with Stern, he makes millions of dollars and it's a way better schedule than anything else he did. Yeah, because it's all in the daytime. You don't yeah. have to be dealing with drunk people. You just have to be dealing with capitalists. So we say to Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. Also, uh, just to plug Conan's podcast again, but he had a small special with Dana Carvey last summer during the pandemic where they did three consecutive episodes of just riffing with each other. It's really okay, fun. Okay, I, w- I would listen to that, yes. It's really fun, and Dana Carvey just speaks in impressions and is incredible. They did a whole, I think one whole episode is just him as John Lennon in heaven. <laughs> you know good. i think i heard about this one yes yeah 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 okay it's I really will good i think he also did that bit on on stern but not everybody there's no like venn diagram where the middle piece is a lot of yeah. people you a lot of I mean? a lot of big stern and conan heads yeah i'm a stern and conan head but i think i'm one of the very few um, but yeah, the I did not know this about Dana Carvey. I can't believe that he's like a corporate comedian guy. Yeah. Doesn't he have a special that just came out about being a white guy? I don't know about that. He's done special. He's done like stand up specials before, which I think has been mainly him doing like impressions work. Okay. Um, I don't know if he had a, if he, if he turned into a cancel culture guy, I'm going to be very upset. Wait, and now I have to look this up because I do recall... It, I don't know if it was Dana Carvey. Hold on. Dana Carvey, and it was Netflix. Obviously, you can cut this if you want to. Uh, special. Yeah, so he had a comedy special called Straight White Male 60. Okay. And he, like, riffs That could on, be anything. That could be anything. <laughs> he, like, riffs on millennials, and Ugh. he riffs on, like, antidepressants and all of that stuff. Okay, well, as a millennial on an antidepressant... <laughs> disappointed disappointed yeah you know i think at some point when uh an older comedian gets old it just shows you know yeah i guess so uh, yeah. now i'm bummed out let's go common sense media let's do common sense media. Okay, that's okay, gonna okay, cheer okay. me up so uh I, there aren't a lot of parent reviews on this one it's mostly kid reviews which i found very interesting but i think it just kids understand silliness so i found two reviews of some kids who highly praised this movie the first was from a 13 year old kid well i'm sorry 12 year old and they write i am almost 13 and i've been watching this movie since i had just turned 12 almost a year ago i am (laughs) i am in middle school so so far the math works out yes i love this kid i am in middle school and we have a film elective and we talked about this movie and did a study on it i believe that this movie is for ages 11 and up it has comedy and legendary lines and moments, like the Bohemian Rhapsody scene, but at the same time, it has some adult comedy that should be given attention. Some scenes have sexual stuff, but overall, it is kid-friendly. And Rob Lowe is in it, too. I don't know what that last sentence implies. Are they upset about it? Are they happy about it? Well, it, it sounds like it's being set up contra being kid-friendly, which, ironically, the problem with Rob Lowe is he was too kid-friendly, I think. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So the second review that has positive, it was a five star from this kid uh, who's 13 that says, lots of consumerism, but overall an amazing movie. It's a critique of consumerism. I know, I know. I don't think they, they, he'll get it. They'll get it. Um, okay. There was one very poor review by a 14 year old. Hmm. Very upsetting. And they write, Wayne's World holds a plethora of sex jokes that cheapen it and make it about as intelligent as a bowl of potato and leek soup filled with stones. 
Admittedly, the self-deprecating humor lightens the deep quagmire of despair that is Wayne's world. Okay, and, so. gi- and, and gives a humorous desperation akin to Waving But Not Drowning, the poem of Lost Souls. This is such a pretentious title. Yeah, I was about to say, 14-year-old with a fucking thesaurus up her ass here. <laughs> why, is he, why is she a her? Okay, with a thesaurus up their ass. Yeah, fuck Non-binary, you, pretentious 14-year-old. <laughs> Wayne and the other person whose name begins with G show zero respect for women as evidenced by them continually ogling women's breasts, backside, and other sexually desirable parts. They also refer constantly to clubs as babe thests. Here, I shall refer to the title. Why, why, why? I didn't like Wayne's World, but who knows? Maybe you will. I hate this kid. I hate, I hate this fucking kid. You want to be an enemy of the show? You want to be on the same list as Adam Shankman, kid? Yeah, and John Travolta. <laughs> no, John no, Travolta wait. is a friend of the show. He's great. Yeah, we love I John I mean Travolta. Tom Cruise. I mixed up my Scientologist. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, see? Now who can't tell white men apart? <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> wow. Are there any uh, any final thoughts? Wayne's World rules. I, I agree. Wayne's World rules. Um, I'm going to say <clears throat> Lorne Michaels saw the box office receipts on this one and said, let's make eight more movies based on sketches. And <laughs> I wish I could go back in time to that moment to try to talk him out of it. Yeah. he. I, I mean, like I mentioned, when an old comedian gets older, it gets bad. And I think that that shows over time. <laughs> and we'll get there when we get to... Some later movies. Some later, <laughs> several, multiple other movies. But yeah. I am glad we started with this one. I feel nourished for the journey ahead. I am very excited. I love SNL. I love what it means to so many of us. And I also love its decline. It's just <laughs> so interesting. It's like watching the Roman Empire fall apart in our era. Yeah, exactly. And for us, it's on TV. <laughs> Uh, so folks, if you want to listen to our continued uh, mental decline as we watch these films, just subscribe, leave a review if you can. Uh, we are available everywhere you get podcasts. Our social media is probably should have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We'll see you next week. Soothing, and they all started grooving. Yeah.